Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Hello, everyone. This is Maria Shabla, and welcome to Behind the Warrior. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Thomas Richmond, Retreat Manager for Project Sanctuary. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. So, Tom, today you are here to talk to us about a fantastic nonprofit called Project Sanctuary, which is one of the only organizations that supports not just the veteran, but the whole family, including caregivers. But before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, a little little town in Connecticut, uh, Newtown, Connecticut, um, unfortunately made famous by the uh, shooting uh, back in 2012. But uh, uh, it was, you know, when I grew up there, it was a small uh, farming town. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, a it was a fun place to grow up. Very nice. Were you going to say uh, something else? Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. And, uh, and I actually grew up there and, uh, um, ended up working, uh, fire department, uh, about a half hour away and then ended up getting married and, and buying a house in the town that I grew up in. So it was kind of hard to get out of there for for a while, but I finally did. <laughs> now, you have a very extensive background as a first responder, and you served 25 years in the Army National Guard as a medic and 26 years as a career firefighter. Can you tell us what led you to becoming a firefighter and uh, joining the Army, and what was it like doing both at the same time for your entire career? Well, I think I uh, I wanted to be involved with the fire department you know, at, at a young age, um, my dad, uh, was a volunteer in town where in Newtown, all the, the fire departments were volunteer, um, departments. Um, and, uh, you know, I got my first taste of it, you know, when my dad, they had what they, we, they called plectrons back in the day. It was a, basically it was a radio, um, that was just a receiver and they put out a tone and then they tell the guys where the, where the fire was and then either they just go right to the fire or they if they had a, a, a driver's responsibility they go get in the truck and they drive the truck to the fire and my dad used to drive the tanker so i have i don't really really have the memories but um uh he would tell me about him taking me at you know six years old and, and younger and um taking me with him when he'd go out to a fire and uh with me driving in the, in the, in the fire truck with him going to the fire. Oh, wow. You know, and, then, and I remember, and that kept on going. And then I remember that, you know, he did that with me up until, you know, I was driving and, uh, and I can remember just nights, you know, some night he didn't do it all the time, but I can remember nights, you know, sitting up and listening to the plectron, you know, seeing what was going on. So I kind of, and then hanging around the firehouse with the, you know, his friends at the firehouse and everything else. So I kind of got bit by the firefighter bug at a young age. And then, you know, through school, I was, I was always involved with, you know, the, um, like the first aid stuff. And like we had, uh, I remember middle school, we had our, what we called, uh, uh, the uh, stretcher crew. And there was a couple of us who, 
um, would work with the nurse. And if somebody got hurt at gym or out on the playground, they'd call the stretcher crew and we'd <laughs> run down to the nurse's office and we'd get the stretcher and we'd run out and pick the person up on the stretcher and bring them back to the, to the nurse's office. How cute is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They don't and do then, that uh, anymore. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, I, I bet you still find it in, at 13. Um, so that would have been what, like eighth grade, something like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of my sister's best friend joined the civil air patrol okay. and, the civil air, and the civil air patrol is kind of like, I don't know, it's part of the air force, but it's kind of like, uh, um, I'd say it's like the boy scouts or, um, I don't know, some of these other, you know, kids groups, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, and, but what their main thing is the civil air patrol was put together and they do search and rescue. Oh, wow. So they'd have a, like we had a little Cessna, like 170 or 150, whatever it was. And, uh, so that, you know, somebody went missing in the woods, we'd go look for them type of thing. Wow. So she joined and I kind of had the hots for her. So, <laughs> um, uh, she, uh, she didn't want to go by herself. So I said, well, I'll join with you. Oh. So that was my first real other than, you know, playing, you know, army as a kid and hearing the stories from my, my, um, uncle and, you know, uh, other people I'd run into who were veterans. They, uh, um, that was my first like real kind of military thing. And how old and were you? I was 13. 13. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And because it's kind of like you could join, I think you could join at 12. Uh-huh. And it's, I guess you can kind of think of it kind of like ROTC, you know, in the schools. Gotcha. You know, it's just that you just, you know, like one night a week, you'd go in and have a uh, drill type of thing. And mm-hmm. they teach you how to march and you'd wear uniforms. And then uh, like one weekend out of the month, you'd go off and they'd do like a, they'd take somebody and they'd hide them out in the woods and you'd have to go find them. Oh wow! Type of thing. Yeah, so it was, you know, for a thirteen-year-old kid, it was, it was pretty fun. Yeah, and I lasted, and I lasted as you know as long as she did. She lasted, you know, she was there for a little bit, and really wasn't her thing. And because she was older, so she was like, I was thirteen, she was like fifteen, sixteen, mm-hmm. and uh, she ended up um, uh, stopping going, and and then uh, um, I uh, I stayed around a little bit longer, and then I stopped going too because it's just she was my ride getting there and then I had to rely 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 on my <laughs> folks to get me there so it just didn't work but I but as I go when I get get down further down my story I got it, it comes back and and uh and uh um plays a little bit of a role when I when I went to the list so it's oh, kind of interesting funny. but uh um so that's kind of my first thing with with the with the guard and then uh as soon as I was 18. Or with the army, as soon as I was 18, I joined the um, volunteer fire department. So yeah. I was still, well, actually, I was 17. I was, um, they, cause they would let us, you could join at 16, but you couldn't, you couldn't do any firefighting, um, or anything until you were 18. So you were just kind of like dragging hose and helping around the firehouse and stuff. But then when you turn 18, then you could go to, to, uh, school and, and then, uh, then you could actually, go into a fire and fight a fire. And I mean, I think the, the thing is you like you before that you couldn't climb a ladder more than six feet above the ground and stuff, stuff like that. But, uh, um, so I got my first taste of that. It, it, you know, fighting fires, 
you know, at 17 and then, you know, sometime after 18, I bought my first fire, you wow. know, so, and, uh, so I got a pretty, pretty early start compared to what a lot of guys get, get these days. It seems like. Yeah, absolutely. And following in your dad's footsteps. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, so I, uh, um, I did the volunteer thing for, you know, all, you know, rest of high school and, and after, um, you know, I was, you know, and then, uh, um, then I got hired on the career department down in Westport, Connecticut, uh, in 1988 and, uh, started my career as a, as a firefighter then. And then, uh, um, two years after I was on the, on the job in, in, uh, Westport, a good friend of mine, he was in the national guard in Connecticut and the army in one of the infantry battalions. And we don't, you know, we were pretty close and, you know, talking and stuff. He was, he was, he was a Waterbury fireman. And, um, uh, you know, and when that's bigger city up the road from us and, uh, um, you know, and, and we were friends and we'd talk about it and you'd tell me about the, the, the guard and, and everything else. And, uh, so in 1989, uh, 1990, I, I went to enlist in the, in the guard and I had decided then that I, I knew exactly what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a combat medic. I don't really know why, but for some reason, I can't remember exactly what it was that, that, that just, that was what I just decided to do, but that's what I decided to do. And, um, kind of, uh, I think the thing that kicked me in is, you know, that was kind of when all the stuff was going on with the first Gulf war and we, uh, had gone into Panama and all that, um, back then. So I, uh, um, kind of had that patriotic fervor going, I guess, mm-hmm. and, uh, walked into the, to the recruiter said, want to be a combat medic. He says, well, I don't have a position for you, but, uh, but if you wanted to be a, a, um, uh, a, uh, 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 artilleryman, I've got a position for you. I said, Nope, I'll come back. And I left. <laughs> and I got, a, I got a phone call uh, a couple weeks later. And, uh, he was like, uh, I think it was staff Sergeant Lewis was the recruiter's name. And he's like, I got a, I can, uh, I've got a, a, a medic position for you in the artillery battalion. And at the time they had a, a, uh, a battery right in the, town next town over from Newtown. So right in Danbury, they had a, they had a battery. So he was like, Oh, you can probably be up here at the battery. You'd be close to home. So I was like, sounds good to me. Wow. So we're doing our paperwork and I get a phone call and he goes, Hey, we got a problem. Come down to the armory. So I came down to the army and I go, what's the matter? He goes, I can't do, I can't go forward with your enlistment. I said, well, why not? He goes, well, you were in the service already. And you've got a statement of charges on, on you that you owe money and I can't do anything until you pay what? this off. And I'm like, what? He goes, were you in the, were you in the civil air patrol? I'm like, yeah, well, they've got statement of charges you own for uh gear that you didn't turn in. I'm oh like, my goodness. And I guess, you know, I didn't realize that, you know, as you know, a 13 year old kid that if you didn't turn the gear they gave you in, that you'd get a statement of charges and you'd owe it, owe them for that. <laughs> so, so I told him, I said, well, that was a civil air patrol. He goes, what? So I told him what the civil air patrol, he goes, oh, that's all it is. He ripped it up, threw it in the garbage, said, okay, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. 
Yeah. It came back to hunt you. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did all because of a girl. Yeah. I thought I wasn't going to get into the service. Wow. But so that's how uh, that's how I got into both the the um, the uh, army and and with the fire service. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, I mean, it was. I, I, you know, both of them, I, it, they kind of worked well together. You know, I, uh, um, you know, I went off to basic training and got all my, my, um, uh, training for the, for the army. And, you know, this was back, you know, in, in the nineties and, you know, late eighties, nineties, early nineties. And it was, you know, kind of, you know, desert storm was over and, uh, it was just kind of a, it was a, peacetime army we were still kind of in the cold war i guess kind of the end of it mm-hmm. and um you know so uh it was just going to drills we you know in the guard you go a week in a month and two weeks in the summer and back in at, at that time uh i would i could go and i would still i they would give me the time off from work at the fire department and i'd still get paid for that shift and to go and i would go to to my drills and stuff so, um, so that was good. So I never lost any money and I made a little bit of money on, on drill pay, mm-hmm. not a whole lot, but you know, and, uh, got to travel all, all up and down the East coast to different places, um, during that time. And, you know, it, it, in, when I first started, you know, when I was single, it was really easy, you know, because it was just me, mm-hmm. you know, when I had to leave, I just put the time in from work if I had to, and I was gone for whatever period of time. And I used to volunteer for everything. You know, if they needed extra people for something, I'd always just volunteer and be that extra guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, uh, uh, let's see, I, I did my first six years. So that would have put me like at 96. And, um, for some reason, I just, at that time, I, it got to the point where I was like, eh, I don't know if this is really what I, I want to keep on doing. So I, uh, I ETS at six years and, uh, not thinking I'd ever go back. And then, uh, um, in 97, towards the end of 97, I guess I just, I decided again, you know, I missed it and I went back and I, uh, I, re-enlisted you know i came out of the individual ready reserve where they put you when you still have time in your because you have an eight-year commitment altogether Mm -hmm. so i still had time but that last two years is in the ir where you're on the they could still call you up if they want to but you're you're not in it you don't have any responsibility to go to drill or anything anymore right and and, uh so i uh i did that and i went back in and before my time was up i re-enlisted which makes it a lot easier because they, now they just pull you out of the IR, IR and they put you in a position. And I went as a medic in, a, in the combat engineer battalion in the state. And, um, and I was, I was with the, the, uh, engineers. And then, uh, and then I, in 98, I got married. And that and, changes everything, right? Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> it, 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 at first it really was, wasn't, uh, didn't change things too much well i tell you where it changed was like i would go away for my two weeks and kate would come up my wife kate um would come up and she would uh stay at my condo while i was gone well the first year she stayed at my condo and you know how women are you know it's a bachelor's apartment 
you know, condo. So she was like, I can't live here like this. <laughs> so, you know, like the first weekend she spent cleaning. Oh no. So, so, you know, she did, you know, like, you know, six months worth of laundry. And, oh my goodness. You know, cleaned out the cupboards, you know, where, you know, in the refrigerator, you know, she said she found a jar of pickles in my cupboard were that were four years old. <laughs> I said, yeah, but they're never, they've never been opened. They're good. You know, oh as long as they goodness. aren't open, they'll last forever. <sighs> you know, as long as they don't, the pop doesn't, the top doesn't bulge. You're good. Did you eat but, them? No. No, no, she got rid of them all. <laughs> you know, I had a, it, it, the only thing that, that, that really, that upset me about that whole thing was it was great coming home to a clean condo mm-hmm. was that I had an Elkhart in the freezer that I've been saving since 95. What is that? A heart from an elk. Oh, I'd gone elk, oh, I'd gone wow. elk hunting and I got elk hunting in, uh, in, uh, 95 and, uh, saved the heart and they slice it up and it, you know, it, I don't know. Just a thing, I guess. I wow. never, I never tried it, and she threw it out because it'd been there for five years, which was probably good because it was probably kind of freezer burned by then, anyways. And then, oh and, and then, uh, and then she would kept it. And then I, I, for a while, I wasn't realizing like I go away for a weekend or I go away for the month, and she'd come up and she'd stay. And it wasn't until a while later that she was telling a story to people, and I found out why she was doing it. I, she wasn't doing it because she liked me or she loved me. She was doing it because when I did my laundry and stuff, you know, the change from my pockets would either just go on the floor or I just put it on top of the dryer. So every time she would go, she'd get, you know, like the first time she got $500 in change. Oh my goodness. When that first time. And then after that, she'd get like a hundred dollars <laughs> or whatever from change and stuff. Cause it was just change and like dollar bills and stuff. I just leave on the, on the, on the dryer. So I really found out why it was because she was coming to get the change. But, oh, that's funny. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. So yeah, I mean, we uh, so when when we first got married, um, you know, it was you know it was another thing where you know I met Kate through uh, a friend of mine at the fire department. Uh, she was his sister's uh, best friend. So I, you know, we were sitting around the firehouse one day talking, and and uh, uh, you know, I was like, John, you got a sister. He's like, yeah. I said, well, she just have it. Does she have any friends? And he goes, oh yeah, I think she does. So, uh, I got invited. They used to do pizza Fridays at his, his parents' house. So, uh, um, got, uh, invited over pizza Friday and Kate was there and, and, uh, you know, we went out and then kind of, you know, didn't really, you know, nothing really kicked off. And then, uh, and then, uh, like a month or two later, we went out again and then things started kicking up and then the next day I know I'm getting married. <laughs> you know? But I think, Aww, you know, I, love a, then, I it, love a good love story. That was very yeah, sweet. I love it. Everything, you know, for me early on from the night, you know, I think, you know, everything, you know, was, was fire department or the guard, mm-hmm. you know, that's where my friends were, you know, um, other than the ones I went to high school with, you know, friends were in the guard, friends were in the fire department, you know. Um, and then, uh, uh, so it wasn't so, so bad, you know, after we got married, you know, going to drills and stuff, it's, you know, it's just me and Kate, you know, so that wasn't, that wasn't, uh, too bad. But then when, uh, then the, uh, my first daughter, uh, Michaela came along in, uh, 99 and, uh, and then things changed, uh, I think a little bit more then, cause now, um, 
it was that we were Kate's a respiratory therapist, so she would work shifts, and and I like we work opposite shifts, so that if I'm working a day shift, she would work uh, um, a night shift. So I come home, or I meet her at the hospital, and grab the kids, and that's how we did it, you know, and and uh, so it was it was more difficult for her when um when uh i had to go away for two weeks or if i was activated for something i'd you know i'd be away and she'd have to take care of she'd have to work and take care of the kids or find somebody to watch the kids so made it more difficult for her um so that's kind of the where it changed a lot it used to be kind of more happy-go-lucky and then it became a little bit more of a of a chore and you know to to uh um, get st- stuff done but i think by that time i was all in and she you know backed me you know the the whole time i was in you know and uh that's a that's know, a big even, role to play you yeah, know even through my you know even through my deployments and stuff she was right there and and uh you know not that we didn't have some difficulties but uh um she was she was right there and uh um, you know, and, you know, we got to do a lot of, you know, it's, you get little benefits, you know, go with being in the, in the service, you know, like we take the girls, like I've got three girls. I got Michaela, uh, she will be 23 this year, Morgan be 22 and Maeve is, uh, turned 18 this year. And, uh, so we take the girls out to West Point cause it was like the closest place really to go to a, for us, it was a hour drive from where we lived go out to go to the commissary and the px so we go out there to west point to the commissary and px probably once sometimes twice a month for uh to go for food and you know that's where we went like for the kids you know school shopping for clothes and stuff we went to the px you know so she kind of, they kind of got a little bit of that because as being guard kids they we don't live on a base so they never really that's that was their um that's what they thought the the army was, was like West Point and some of the other places we've been. So that, you know, and then going on vacation, we'd stay sometimes at the, on base at one of the military hotels or, or, uh, stuff like that. So that, uh, you know, it was cheaper, you know, and then, uh, um, you know, so they, uh, that's, that's kind of their, where they saw the military. And then, uh, yeah, so I did, uh, the fire department for 26 years, saw all kinds of fun stuff. Um, I got to go to down to after nine 11, I was in New York for, for, uh, two days, um, working on the pile, uh, with some guys from work after that. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, I got to, uh, deploy to a few, interesting places when i was uh a uh, medic in the army uh, my last deployment was as a medic on an advisor team uh to uh uh in uh, iraq and uh that was that was interesting and uh and then uh so and then i got came back from all that my last deployment was 2010 and then i ended up retiring from both in 2014 Mm-hmm. Now, now let me ask you this: um, as a firefighter and a medic, you were obviously exposed to 
many difficult and traumatic events. You had mentioned um, being at the Twin Towers shortly after that happened and um, several deployments. Can you tell us about how this played an emotional toll on on you and, and how you dealt with that? Sure. Uh, I think what my my experience has kind of been, you know, in the in the fire service, you know, when I came up through the fire service, it was um it, you really didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you something would happen and what we do is we'd have uh we we may sit around the the day room a little bit, talk about it, but then it was just filed away and you just moved on to whatever happened next. Um, or, and then what we do is on a fairly regular basis, like weekly, we'd have attitude adjustment nights mm-hmm. where, uh, we'd meet at a bar, um, uh, and, uh, we'd just all sit around and get shit faced mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and just, and that's kind of when you got to talk about stuff with your buddies, you know, and, uh, it wasn't until way down the road that I realized that going out and getting drunk and then talking about it isn't really the best way to deal with it. Right. You know, um, and, and storing it away isn't the best way to deal with it. But at that time, that's, that's what we did. And, um, and then, uh, you know, so it just kind of just builds up and, you know, you go from there, you know, I, I saw my, my first dead person at 18, you know, a car accident. You know, and I still remember. I can, I sit in here right now. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. You know, and uh, you know, that's you know, it's really something that you know. Until recently, I never really talked about. Right. You know, it was just you know stored away. That was one of those experiences, and it, you know, you know, you learn from that, and you go on to the next time. You know, you know, little things, and then uh, in the the uh, the you know, the guard, you know, I had, you know, I went through, I didn't deploy until, um, you know, to combat until 2010, you know, so I'd been in the guard already for 20 plus years, you know, well, yeah, close to 20, 20 years already. I'd already been in the army and had little deployments and stuff, you know, but nothing into combat. And, uh, um, so, uh, you know, I, when I went, you know, I'd, I was, uh, I'd been a first sergeant already. I took over, a uh, a, uh, uh, my, my first got promoted to first sergeant, my first company, they were all just coming back from, uh, Iraq 2006. Um, so they were over in 2005, they came back and they all went on, like they have a period of time where this, where, uh, they don't have to drill and then they come back and they start drilling. So like my first drill, there was like 15 people there. And then my next drill, here's 140. Oh, wow. You know, and, you know, and a lot of them were having trouble, you know. So, you know, I dealt with a lot of stuff with my my troops coming back, you know, dealing with um, being deployed and coming back and everything else. Mm-hmm. So when I deployed, I figured I had everything under control. You know, I'd already, you know, I'd helped these people, you know, people who were having trouble in the past. I was aware of it. I was older. Out of my experience from the fire department, you know, and, uh, but I never really realized how much it affects you when you go away somewhere where, you know, there's somebody 
on the other side of the fence who's thinking about how they're going to kill you every single day, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and subconsciously, you know, well, and even not even just by everything we do, that's basically what we do is we every, every action we take is to mitigate that, to keep them from killing us so we can kill them before they kill us. Wow. You know, so it takes a toll. I think any, I mean, if, if somebody goes to combat and they come back and they say that it didn't affect them, they're lying because my feeling is that it, it affects just going into that circumstance. It, it, it's going to affect anybody, but it does, it, it does, it is going to affect people differently. Mm-hmm. You know, some, you know, so I came back from, uh, from that deployment in 2010 and I, uh, I, um, um, I didn't think I was going to have any problems. You know, I came back and went back to work and, um, you know, uh, got back into being dad and, and, uh, went on, on from there. And I, I thought everything was fine. Well, now I do, I do want to stop you because I want to make sure that we talk about, um, the fact that you did get an opportunity to work along an EOD unit, um, while you were deployed and wanted to, to, See if you could tell us about that and how you liked working near them. Yeah, we, uh, I was, uh, when we first got in, uh, into Iraq, we, uh, we were out in, in, uh, uh, Iraq, which is about halfway between, I say Baghdad and, um, Cobb Delta, where we ended up later. But we're uh, kind of on the Iranian border out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, um, we were doing, uh, um, I was advising the medical folks on that base, <laughs> plus supplying medical support for the teams we had there. Cause they had my team. We had another team that was, uh, was, um, working with that, uh, 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 truck driver school or uh, I guess you call it, yeah, they were just, they drove trucks. So they were there and then they had a, a civilian team that was there and was teaching them how, sh- how the Iraqis, how to shoot mortars. So we're out there and then we moved it got to the point where the security was getting a little more tense in the area and they figured there weren't enough of us, um, out there to, uh, keep us all safe. So they decided that they were going to move us back down to Cobb, to, uh, Cobb Delta, which was a, a large, um, uh, us base, uh, right on the Tigris river. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, so instead of waking up and being at work, we had to get up, and drive two or three hours, you know, you know, through, uh, the countryside where they had IEDs, all that stuff to get there. So the first time that I can remember meeting up with the EOD guys was they, um, they got asked by the guys who were doing the truck driving school because we're all in the same compound to, um, uh, to come out with us and set up, um, uh, IEDs and, a you know, for training, you know, so they go boom, but no shrapnel, um, for the Iraqis so they can learn how to react to an IED if they were going down the road. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, here comes this big, uh, I forget what they called them, the trucks that the IED, that the EOD guys drove, but they come in and they have a, this pod on the back where they can put it up and it's a camera so they can look around and, they pull up and while we're waiting to go on the convoy, they open up the back of the truck and they got their, you know, all their cool stuff, you know, the little robot and everything's all in there and, uh, talking from them. And I, if I remember right, there were a, 
a National Guard, Army National Guard EOD team out of Kansas, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. And uh, so, uh, and we were a National Guard team, so we kind of got, you know, we had that to, you know, we're both National Guard and got talking. And then we found out that their compound was right behind ours. And, um, and then we found out why we were taking rocket fire was because of where they were located. Oh no. So it kind of became a little joke that we're their buffer because, you know, at that time, you know, they didn't like the EOD guys because they go out and they'd find their, their, uh, um, their EFPs, the, the, uh, what's the, uh, elect, elect, uh, what would they call it? Something explosively formed projectile. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a, they were like a, they were a, a bomb they put on the side of the side of the road, but it would go right through our armor. And uh, so uh, they, you know, they go out and find those and defuse them and take them away. So they they didn't like the EOD guys. Right. So they were always shooting rockets in and trying to hit the EOD compound, but the rockets from where they were shooting never made it to the EOD compound. They always made it and they always hit either in our compound or around it. How scary. So that kind of became a little bit of a joke, but we worked yeah. with those guys, you know, quite a bit because they would go out with us on a pretty regular basis, you know, in our convoys would go out and they'd stay out with us. Uh, Cause it got to the point where we leave on Mondays, we go out to the Iraqi base until like Thursday or Friday and then come home. And uh, so they come out for us for the week and they do their stuff and we just hang out and talk and, you know, they talk about the stuff that they got to, you know, blow up and everything. And then, uh, um, and then we had, uh, when, when we moved out of the Iraqi base and back down to the U S base, um, we had a bunch of, uh, weapons that had been confiscated, you know, over the years and other teams have been there and our team and everything else. So we had a connex full of this stuff. And then when we pulled out, they said, we'll take it with you and then we'll figure out what we're going to do with it when you get to the U.S. base. So we're trying to find out what they wanted. You know, and it was a whole mismatch of different weapons and rocket launchers and all kinds of stuff. And they're like, well, we want to get, what do you guys want us to do with this stuff? And they said, well, just get a hold of the EOD and um, just have them blow it up. Oh, my goodness. So, so we're like, yeah, we could get to blow something up. Sure. Oh my so, gosh. so we got, we got in with the EOD guys and we went out, they had a, a, a demo range out on the, in an area on, uh, on the base. And we went out and laid the stuff out and they showed us how to lay the, the C4 and, and, uh, laid it all out. And then we went back and can't, I think they let the Sergeant major, uh, push the plunger, <laughs> but, uh, it was probably the biggest boom we saw the whole time we were there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was fun. It Very was fun neat. working with those guys. Very neat. You know, you know, it just, you know, it's, and they're a small team and how much they do, you know, I mean, they, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a tough job. You know, I, you know, my hat's off to those guys. Oh, that's really nice. And I love that story. So um, in 2011, after returning from your deployment to Iraq, you mm-hmm. and your family um, attended a, a retreat with Project Sanctuary. Can you can you tell us about that retreat? Yeah, that was uh, it. You know, it was kind of a one of those change points in my life. You know, 
you know, when you, when you think back, but it was, it was 2000, it was November, 2012. I guess when I was deployed, uh, Kate had been looking on the internet as something that we could do as a family after I got home. And she had come across project sanctuary on the internet. And, uh, so she, uh, um, she applied and, um, but didn't hear any, hear anything back. And then I guess in, uh, um, sometime in 2012, she heard back from, from project sanctuary and said, Hey, you know, they were like, Hey, you know, do you want to come to a retreat in November in Colorado? And at the time, that's the only place that, um, Project Sanctuary was doing their, their retreats was in uh, Colorado. Mm-hmm. So there's only like uh, <clears throat> like one a month. And so there's only like 11 retreats a year at that time. So the waiting list was kind of long. So it took us about two years before we got um, asked to come. So, uh, you know, I was thinking of it as, you know, she, Kate didn't really tell me too much about what it was. She just said it's a free um uh, retreat for military families, uh, in Colorado and, uh, um, you know, and, you know, we're going to be, be able to go hiking, probably go fishing, um, stuff like that. I'm thinking November, maybe it'll snow. So then maybe we can go skiing or something while we're there. So I'm like, okay, that'd be cool. And then, uh, and she go, and she said, well, it's like at, um, at that time, my daughter, so it's a 2012, my daughter in, uh, uh, had been a, she had had, uh, leukemia when she was younger. In 2004, she got diagnosed with, uh, acute lymphocytic leukemia. Oh, wow. And she'd gone through chemo and everything. And while she was going through chemo, they would have these family retreats that they, that, you know, families with kids who have, um, you know, cancer and other diseases and stuff would go and they'd talk about it and you'd have like little workshops. So Kate said, I think it's going to be a lot like one of those, those, um, uh, retreats we went to back when, when Michaela was, uh, was going through her treatment because in 2008 she got, she was done with her treatments and clear and, okay. and everything. So, um, so we're like, so I'm thinking, Oh, I can do, I can, I can put up with a class or two, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, uh, we went out and, you know, and it was, it, it had, uh, m- so much more of an effect on me than I ever thought it would. Really? You know, I, yeah, I thought it was just going to be a retreat to go to, you know, I'm not going to pay much attention to what they have to say and we're going to kind of do our own thing mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we'll go, you know, fishing or we'll go snowshoeing or whatever, but, um, you know, got there and, uh, you know, it was, you know, for me at that time in 2012, you know, I was just kind of coming to the real, to the, in my, my head that there was something going on. I hadn't really yet, um, bought into the fact that I had PTSD and that I was messed up mm-hmm. and, uh, so I kind of, um, I'd gotten into the, uh, just before that retreat, I had, uh, enrolled in the, in the, um, the, uh, uh, well, no, I didn't do that until afterwards. I was, I was just kind of with work and 
friends and family and stuff. I was just kind of from what they were telling me, I was just kind of realizing that there was something up. Yeah. And I got to the retreat, you know, and there was probably 10 other families there, maybe more. It's a big retreat. Um, yeah. And I don't really remember too much the families who were there, mm-hmm. but I remember the staff, you know, and um, they all seemed to get it. You know, uh, especially we met uh, uh, Larry and Vicki Dobbs. They uh, used to teach our, um, they were worked for the company that used to come in and t- they called it was a marriage, a uh, healthy marriage. It's a healthy marriage class. And they talked about communications and, you know, dealing with problems and stuff like that. And really clicked with uh, Larry. He was a, uh, or he's a, um, a Vietnam vet, um, you know, uh, so we, you know, we hit it off and, and Kate seemed to hit it off with Vicky, his wife. And, you know, um, so, uh, we, you know, so for me, I almost was like, we aren't going to these classes, you know, but Missy, who is my boss now, she was kind of back then she was manager slash a rec therapist. And she was like, no, you got to go to the class. You know, she goes, you know, it's all, it's all done. We have it. it, The schedule is done a certain way for a certain way. You know, and I didn't get it it Mm -hmm. then. So went to the classes and sat through the classes. You know, back then we had the marriage class. Then, uh, um, then we'd have, uh, um, then they just had a finance class and the finance class was, uh, was, um, uh, handing out Dave Ramsey tapes, um, (laughs) for everybody. And we, I'll tell you, when we get get going here, it's, it, 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 what we do now is so much changed so much from, what we were doing 2012 but the the effect is the same mm-hmm. you know um i i didn't really get it really too much when i was there because i think it was kind of a shock you know I, yeah i'd been home from deployment for uh you know two years but i didn't really realize how much i had withdrawn and um and how much i you know you know was um affecting the family i didn't realize any of that until i was hearing other people's stories and i was like wow that sounds like me wow you know and then uh but i got to you know we spent you know about a week you know with my family just with the kids and just hanging out we hadn't really been able to do that and it was um you know so that was that was great just be able to hang out with the family no really no no argue arguments, no, none of that. Just mm-hmm. having a good time, learning some stuff. And then it really hit me when I got home that, you know, I got to, I got to find out what's going on with me so that I can be a better fa- father and a better husband and, you know, uh, you know, better at everything I do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that was my, uh, so came back from that retreat. Um, kind of, kind of stumbled along like I did before, you know, but then after the first of the year, I went in, went in and I, I got into the VA system, uh, got into a clinic in the next town over, uh, got seeing a psychologist, a counselor. And, um, you know, uh, cause when I came home, they diagnosed me with, uh, uh what do they call it? disassociation syndrome or something like that. Just basically, you're, you know, I was having trouble, um, you know, assimilating back into 
you know, regular life. And it was kind of, I kind of chuckled because when they diagnosed me with that, I was, I was still on active duty and it was at Fort Polk when we were demobbing, you know? So I hadn't really gone back to the civilian world yet. So they, they already were, had put that on. I think they, they gave everybody that diagnosis that came home. Interesting. And, uh, and, uh, and then, uh, that's when I first got diagnosed with PTSD mm-hmm. was, uh, it was, was then, and then, um, you know, started doing different, the different treatments and stuff. And, and, uh, you know, for me, like, you know, like at, at Project Sanctuary, where we talk about post-traumatic growth now is, is one of the areas that we talk about. And that's the period of time where I started really, the retreat kicked it off for me. Mm-hmm. That was the kick in the ass. <laughs> hey, you gotta, you gotta do something. Um, because what you're doing now isn't working. Wow. And then, and then, so that's kind of when my post-traumatic growth started and it really kicked in when I really realized and, and, you know, that, Hey, I got PTSD. Um, I gotta, I gotta learn more about this and figure out what I can do to improve, you know, what I'm doing in my family. Because if I keep on going the way I'm going now, it's not going to be a good thing. And, um, so that's, that was our retreat in 2012. And then we came, uh, you know, and I, I didn't really realize how much it affected like Kate and the girls until we went back in 2013 during spring break to volunteer at a retreat. And I realized that the girls, you know, being a guard family had never really been around other than like Christmas and summer picnics and parties at the armory, they'd never really spent time with other military kids, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a lot of it too is and they hadn't really spent a whole lot of time with other military adults either, mm-hmm. you know, because just didn't have that, you know, right. we'd have like, some, like a ceremony or something and they would come to it and that'd be about, about it. And occasionally we'd get, you know, we'd get together, but normally it wasn't with the families. And most of the time it was just, you know, after we were done working. So the families weren't involved. Right. And, uh, so, you know, realized that, you know, that's something that they really liked and it really helped them. And I think they liked it too, because it kind of became, it was a safe place for them to go because mom and dad weren't fighting, mm-hmm. you know, dad was happier, you know, and mom seemed happier. So they, they, like going to, you know, found out that, you know, afterward, you know, down the road that they really look forward to going to retreats every time we'd go to retreats. Right. And, uh, and then, uh, so about 2012, so this is 2013, um, we're coming into the, um, I had, I had my, I had like 25 years already in the fire department and 20 plus years in the guard. Um, and I'd kind of been, you know, kind of in the back of my mind thinking that, you know, maybe it's time for me to retire from the fire department, but I didn't know what I was going to do if I retired from the fire department. So I, uh, um, you know, I was looking on USA jobs and I was looking, you know, for different things I could do. Um, and then, uh, Kate got, let's see, did that come out? Yeah, Kate got offered a job in uh, in uh, Texas um, doing uh, uh, 
research for cystic cystic fibrosis uh, at the see where was she it was the um, one of the hospitals in, in Dallas um, and uh, so uh, in uh, summer of 2013 we'd gone we decided we were gonna or at the end of the summer I think it's about October 2000 no it was September August or September was a couples retreat. And way Project Sanctuary works is you can go to a family's re- family retreat and a couple's retreat. Or and it doesn't matter which way you do it. You can go to a couple's retreat first, then the family retreat. We just went to the couple's re- family retreat. Then we found out we can go to a couple's. So we figured, you know, let's go to a couple's retreat in in uh, in um, August because we'd run into Missy, you know, when we did our retreat in March. And she talked it up. So we put it in for it and we got into the retreat. And, uh, but by that time, you know, Kate had already been offered the job. So I was thinking, well, I can retire from the fire department and then I can go to, uh, um, you know, when we, we moved down to, excuse me, we moved down to Texas and we can, um, we can do, uh, do our thing. And, uh, well, actually, geez, now it's coming back to me, you know, the, the time frame, 2012. Kate got offered the job in 2000 after the retreat in 2012. Kate got offered offered the job in Texas, and they had moved down to uh, uh, Texas already in uh, uh, in this December 2012. It was pretty quick, and uh, so I was going back and forth between Texas and uh, working in the fire department. So. I was going to retire. So I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do for retirement. And uh, so it, we went to a couple's retreat. We had a great time, met a lot of, a lot of people. Um, it just, it, it, it just confirmed to me that I was going the right direction. Mm-hmm. You know, I was finding out, you know, what was wrong with me trying to fix me. And so that, cause I, you know, my mindset at that time was I can't really help anybody else until I fix myself. Right. And um, so Kate and the girls had already moved down to Texas and we had found a place and I was working back and forth and that wasn't working very well. A lot of tension between myself and Kate just because of that, because I wasn't home. I was, you know, at the fire department and really wasn't sure what I was going to do. So uh, we went to the retreat and when we're at the retreat, Um, I was talking with Missy and Missy had said, had had mentioned that for dinner, we're going to have pork loin, but she didn't know how to cook it. So I was like, you know, this is in the morning. And I was like, well, you know, I can cook pork loin. That's easy. And, uh, so around lunchtime, she goes, Hey, uh, you're cooking dinner tonight. I'm like, what? I'm I'm here for the retreat. You're supposed to cook for me. So, so I went in and I, I, I cooked the dinner, I cooked the pork loin and everything, cooked the dinner. And I guess every, I guess everybody liked it. And, uh, I get a phone call, uh, end of, uh, September from Missy saying, Hey, can you come out to the retreat in Colorado and cook for the retreat? She said, I'll have all the food there. You know, I'll pick up the food, get all the food there. All you need to do is, uh, is cook it. So I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So 
I did what back in at that time I was uh, I was traveling a lot by Greyhound, and that that'll be a whole podcast. Greyhound, on, so. oh my gosh! <laughs> oh boy, I, do I have stories? <laughs> I bet. And, uh, so oh, good old Greyhound. Um, so, I, so the girls and Kate dropped me off at the at the uh, uh, bus station in Dallas. I got on the on the bus and went to Denver. Spent the night in the 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 bus station in in Denver. And then, uh, um, then got on the next bus going up into the mountains and got off the bus in Granby and Heather, who's our CEO and founder picked me up and took me down to the retreat. So I cooked the retreat and everything and, uh, it went fine, you know, pretty easy. I mean, I've been used to, I was, you know, being on the fire department, I was used to cooking for a bunch of people and, uh, um, so didn't really have any problems. And then, uh, so the next, uh, at the end of the retreat, the bus didn't leave until later in the afternoon. So Heather's like, Hey, let's go. I'll take you. We'll go have lunch. We'll talk. So, um, and, and back in those days, Heather would just, at the end of the retreat, she'd just write a check to us and pay us. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said, and you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll pay you if you want, we can stop at the bank and you can cash the check, you know, and everything. So, uh, um, so I was like, cool. I did this and I got paid. <laughs> you know? That's and, nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And I got to talk with a bunch of veterans and, and, uh, everything else. And this, this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we go out for lunch and at the end of lunch, when we're getting ready to leave, the, she's going to go drop me off at the, at the gas station where the, uh, the buses stop. She goes, well, I'll see you next month. And I'm like, what do you mean you'll see me next month? She goes, well, you're a cook now. <laughs> I'm like, I'm kind of like, well, okay, I guess I'll just go, I'll, I'll go with this. I, yeah. Okay. You know, <laughs> you know, when is it? Cause I got to get time off from my job, you know, to, to do it. And, uh, I, uh, so I started in October, 2013, I started cooking for project sanctuary and I kind of moonlit until, you know, I, and I didn't retire from the fire department until February of 2014. And I didn't uh, retire from the army until October of 2014. So I kind of was doing all three, you know, mm-hmm. I'd get time off from work and I'd, I'd work extra uh, drills, you know, different times. So I'd get the weekend off. I had a good Sergeant major. He'd, he, you know, he, he would uh, work with me. And, uh, and then, uh, <laughs> um, it wasn't until, uh, I don't know when it was. It was, it was, it was probably later in the, in that first year, I found out that, uh, Kate had been talking to Missy and Heather and, you know, ab- ab- about, uh, the fact that, you know, I was looking to retire and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so they said, well, you did a good job cooking and we'll just, we'll just hire him on as our cook. You know, so they had the fix, you know, the fix was in already, mm-hmm. but, um, that, that was like my next, I think, you know, looking back my next step in my, my post-traumatic growth was, um, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do when I retired from the guard and from the, the fire department, you know, for 20 plus years, you know, all I knew was getting up and either putting on my fire department uniform or putting on my, uh, army uniform. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, you know, you know, 
basically what I did. Right. You know, and, and so I wasn't sure what I was going to do and project sanctuary kind of came into play and that became my new mission. Mm -hmm. My new focus was, you know, I'd go up to the retreats and I'd cook and I'd talk with the families, you know, give them as much input as I could and just make sure that, you know, they didn't have to worry about where their food was going to be coming from. And I did whatever I could, you know, to help the retreat have a good outcome. Um, so that was kind of my, my focus. And I did that until uh, November of 2019 was my last meal that I cooked um, in Colorado. And then I started uh, um, just managing retreats. So since uh, 2020, that's all I've done is, is uh, um, manage the retreats. So Tom, clearly the, the retreat had a profound effect on you. Um, mm. and really kind of woke you up and, um, helped you realize that, that you had some issues that you needed to deal with. Um, and really it, it changed your life, it sounds like. So can you tell our listeners, um, how did Project Sanctuary get started and, and what's its mission? Sure. Um, well, I mentioned Heather. She's, uh, she's our founder and our CEO. Um, she, uh, I think it's, we just had our 12th birthday, I think back in August. Oh, wow. It was our 12th birthday. And, uh, so she, uh, she was out in, in uh, California working as a nurse. And it's it where she kind of realized and saw that, that, um, uh, the, uh, the service members, they had a lot of, there was a lot of opportunities and a lot of stuff for, for us, you know, but not so much just for the, the, um, the family as a whole. So that something had just been milling around in the back of her, of her head. And she finds herself in Colorado and she's living in a little town of Granby, Colorado. And she's thinking, you know, it just one night she's like, you know, I'm going to start a nonprofit. And I'm going to do retreats for military families. So the families have somewhere to go and I'm going to call it project sanctuary. So it's a sanctuary for those families to go to for, you know, a week. So that night she, and this is exactly how it went. I mean, that night she, she sat down at the computer and she uh, started the paperwork for 501c3. She she got online and found out how to to set up an LLC and started setting up her LLC. And, and then that month, I think it was August. uh, She had her first retreat in Colorado with two families. And, um, and then, uh, you know, went from there, you know, to where now we're, we we're doing um, the most we've done since I've been working for them was 32 retreats in a year. Wow. <clears throat> and so a lot of times our schedule kind of depends on, always depends on funding and um, excuse me, funding and uh, availability. Cause we have our retreats right now. We have retreats in uh, Washington state, um, Maryland, uh, North Carolina, Georgia, uh, Texas, and Colorado. Majority of our, our retreats are in Colorado. Um, out of the uh, 
at the YMCA of the Rockies in in uh, Granby, Colorado, Snow Mountain Ranch. And um, so uh, it kind of depends on you know where we you know scheduling you know, availability at the different places that we we um we use for our retreats. Um, so like this next year, I think we're only doing uh 24 retreats but we're plussing up our numbers you know we try to do um 12 or more uh, families per retreat um uh and luckily during covid we were able to um we we never stopped we cut back we're down to like four or five families depending on the family size because most of the places we were at we couldn't go over 50 Mm -hmm. but because they had lodging they were still open so we're able to fudge it in and we still, we went through, we went, we had retreats all through COVID. Wow. But, um, but we do, our retreats are six days. Um, we call them their therapeutic retreats. Uh, it's for the, for families, uh, couples, um, and are the, the focus is on, um, the relationship reconnection, you know, and that's not just mom and dad. That's with the whole family. Mm-hmm. um or uh whatever their dynamic is um we uh <clears throat> and cuz our kind of heather's founding i guess uh you know uh thought was that <clears throat> that not the service <clears throat> the service member just doesn't um serve the whole family serves yes so, absolutely um, so that's where we we want to when they come to our retreats you know, we want to give them a, a uh, um, safe place where the the whole family can get back together, and they can uh, they can kind of learn to be a, a family um, uh, family again. You know, and um, and it it uh, it gives them a place to you know they don't have to worry about you know, where the next meal is going to be coming from or anything. All they have to worry about is getting up and getting to, uh, to breakfast. And then we're just going to, we'll direct them where they need to go from there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we, uh, so it's, uh, relationship reconnections. Uh, we've got a really neat, um, collaboration we do with first command financials. They're a financial company that's based out of, um, uh, for, uh, uh, Fort Worth and they uh um I don't know exactly how Heather um stumbled upon the CEO from from their company but they uh they've been with us now for almost as long as you know for I think close to 10 years now where what they'll do what they do is they send an advisor couple um it's normally a husband and wife um either one one of them or both of them work for um first command and they they come to every retreat and they volunteer for the retreat and then on the last more on the morning of the last day or of the last full day they do a financial class but then they're but then they're available all during their their retreat for any questions on financial problems because you know as heather started she realized that one of the big things that that it's not just the communications and learning how to be husband and wife again or a family again or or just improving on what you have already um 
you know, there's other stuff that plays into it. And the financial part was a big part of it. Yeah, you know, and then, yeah. so, um, this is gonna, it's, so it's pretty neat that we have somebody there who's an expert through the whole retreat who can talk to the families and, you know, kind of one-on-one private, you know, and give them advice. And That's then, fantastic. uh, yeah, and then, um, uh, and the, our next thing that we, we have like the, the three classes or workshops to say that, that, uh, um, the uh, parents will sit through and that's the, the, what we call reconnection workshop, the, um, uh, fam- the financial class. And then we have, uh, what we call our post-traumatic growth class. And that started as just a PT PTSD class. You know, it started, you know, it started kind of more, you know, okay, you know, how did you get PTSD and everything else? And, and, um, and that, and then now, and to me, that didn't really have the effect that I think we were looking for, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it just kind of brought up old emotions, you know, and um, we wanted to look more, you know, to, you know, moving from that. So that's where kind of now we're into post-traumatic growth. And it's a class where it's it's set up to where it covers everybody from people who don't have PTSD or don't even know what it is. So those of us who deal with PTSD on a daily basis and, um, and then it kind of fills in the blanks and, and it's mostly driven by the, by the participants, you know, what, you know, they're asked, you know, what, what do you want to learn about post-traumatic growth or PTSD that you don't know already or something that you want to put out there that's helped you or that you've, you found. um, And uh, it's, I, I think it's really helpful for, for the, the, uh, the, uh, couples. And then the other thing we do that I really think that's helped the families as a whole is, you know, we've got our kids group and our teens group, and that's run by our rec therapists. And when, you know, the, the parents are talking about communications, uh, the kids and the teens are tar- talking about communications. Uh, when the parents are talking about personalities, you know, like one one night the parents get a personality test that they take home with them for ho- homework. Well, the next that that same day, the kids and the teens get a personality test too. So now they can go back to their cabin or their room and they can talk with their parents, and parents can talk to their kids. About their personalities. That is fun. And, um, yeah, and and then uh, like when like the um, the the kids and the teens also they get a class on uh PTSD from our counselors. You know, it's all kid, you know, age appropriate stuff. Um, so that the kids can learn a little bit about PTSD and maybe not feel as um. Uh, where they can't talk to their parents about it. And then we also also talk to the parents about, and this kind of gives a, our, our in with this is, you know, we talk to the parents that, Hey, your kids are learning about this stuff too. So this is a really good opportunity for you guys to talk to your kids kind of. And we, we give them, you know, kind of the guidance and help of, you know, the, you know, the best way to do that. Cause that's what we get a lot is, well, how can I tell my kids about what happened to me and what I, witnessed and stuff and, and where my PTSD comes from is like, well, you don't tell them the, you don't tell them the war stories, mm-hmm. you know, you, 
you tell them the age appropriate or the abridged story, you know, of there was a situation and, you know, or, or whatever it is. And you explain to them how you're, you know, cause they've learned how dad's or mom's body is reacting to something. So they, they get it, you know, and you just need to tell them that. And, uh, and, you know, that's one of the things that helped me the best was when I was able to start talking to my kids about the stuff that I've done and seen, you know, and it helped them kind of realize that dad's just not crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a reason why, you know, he reacts to things the way he reacts, you know, and, uh, it's not, you know, it's natural. It's the way it's the way it's supposed to happen. Just, you know, dad can't shut it off. You know, it just, it's there and, you know, he can control it most of the time, but sometimes he can't, you know, and, uh, um, that really helped a lot, you know, just that having that communications. And I think that's having the, 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 the adults, you know, the parents and the kids kind of all learning the same thing so they can take it back together, um, goes a long way. Uh, and then, um, what we've started doing now too, that's pretty cool is at the end of the retreat, we have the, the families um, identify a recreational goal that they're going to take home with them when they go home. And because one of the things that we provide them too is, is uh, two years of support from our family support group after the retreat. And uh, Casey, who uh, who's the director of that, what she'll do is after the retreat, you know, uh, a month, later she'll contact the re- the families and say hey how you doing on your your uh goal you said you're going to have family game night you know um once a week you know are you guys doing that you I know love and, it. and if they're not well why aren't you what can we do to help you so <laughs> yeah. you can get that done some accountability you know? what's going on yeah so yeah. right right and uh because uh that's one of the things we found was that um was that a lot of the families, you know, in, in our research and stuff, do, looking at what we were doing, the families were, they were leaving a little bit anxious because they didn't know. And I think that's kind of how I felt when I left the retreat was, you know, I learned all this stuff, but how am I going to apply it when I get home? You know, so now I think by setting that, having them set that goal is letting them leave with without being as anxious because now they have a goal it's achievable. They know what they need to do and they know that we're going to be following up with them to see how they're doing. You know, so we just don't, you know, up oh, the retreat's over. Thank you very much. And, you know, kick them out the door. You know, it's like the retreat's over, you know, uh, we'll see you later. Cause we didn't ever say goodbye. And, uh, Casey's going to be calling or one of us is going to be calling, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I think I just, you know, from my observations from being at all the retreats I've been at, I, I very seldom do. I think there's a family that leaves that, that, that didn't get something out of the retreat. You right. Know? Um, Cause some families come into the retreats and they're great. You know, they just need a vacation, mm-hmm. you know, they just need a place where they could just, you know, kind of come and just you know be a family improve on what they got there already 
you know, and, but then there's other families who come in and they're really in crisis and they really need some help, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the, I think that's the, the, uh, great thing about our program is that it, um, it allows, um, the families to come in no matter where they're at, um, they're going to get something out of it. And I think, uh, that's the, I think that's the beauty of it to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it sounds like these retreats are, are really life changing. Um, can you tell us one of your favorite stories about how you may have seen a, a retreat change a family's life? Hmm. I think, uh, the one that always comes to my mind was it was, <clears throat> I think it was the, the summer of 2019. Um, we we used to do retreats up in, uh, uh, Grand Lake, Colorado at Winding River Ranch. Um, and then, uh, back in, I guess it was, uh, 20, 2020 20 or 2021. I forget which, I think it was 21. Uh, the East troublesome fire came through and burned the ranch out, just burned everything down. Oh no. And, uh, um, so we haven't been back there since then to do a retreat, but it, it's a, it's a, I don't know, it's a magical place. I used to spend my summers there. I once we started doing retreats there, I'd I'd uh, I'd go up there in May and I would work on the ranch and live at the at, on the ranch and work retreats and then work for Travis who owns the ranch in between you know um, for the summer. So I was up I was in Colorado from May to to uh, September. You know, there's another place where you know my my wife's a saint. She let me do that. You know? <laughs> Um, but I'd have the, the kids would come up and stay with me. Kate would come up around her work schedule and stuff. So it was a whole family thing, but it was mm-hmm. really something I, that I needed to do because it's just winding river. Well, I'm kind of going off the, off, but winding river for me, winding river was like, you know, my place, you know, it was just, um, calming and it was just beautiful. But, um, so we had a family come up, it came out, I think they were from Idaho and it was a pretty big family. And so they came out and I see, I remember, I just remember being out on the front porch watching the families come in mm-hmm. and here comes a, a car comes in with a motorcycle behind it. <laughs> well, their car is not big enough for the whole family. Oh my goodness. So dad rides his motorcycle, one of the kids on the back of it, all the way from Idaho to Colorado. Wow. You know, um, so they could get there. Wow. So they get there and, um. You know, as we're going through, uh, dad and one of the daughters comes to, we come to find out, really haven't talked in like four years. They live in the same house. Something happened. You know, they had a, they're falling out and they just won't, they just don't talk. I cannot even imagine. And so, um, that was Cammie, who's one of our, our rec therapists, um, was working. And she kind of just, she just kind of took it on herself that she's going to get them talking. So between, you know, with her and I can't remember who the counselor, I think the counselor might've been Whitney, but between her, her, her really a whole staff and everybody just helping them out and everything and getting them comfortable to talk to each other again. <clears throat> and, uh, and we have at our retreats, we have counselors 
at every retreat. Um, we don't, they don't schedule counseling. They're there for what the participants need. You know, um, one of our counselors calls it uh, mental health triage. Mm -hmm. They're there, they're there, they're not, you know, in six days, they're not going to solve anybody's problems. Right. You know, but they can help, help them identify that there is a problem. And then what do you need to do to take care of that? Wow. You know, so, you know, with that kind of, and I, or like I, I call it sometimes drive-by counseling where we'll be at an activity or doing something. If something pops into their you know head or you're, you're having a problem with your family right at that point, and you're not really sure what you can do or your wife or your kids, you know, you grab one of the counselors and say, Hey, I, I can't, you know, we're not communicating. So then the counselor can give you, you know, a suggestion on how you can approach it where you might have better communications. Wow. I love so, that drive-by counseling. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it, uh, you know, so working through the retreat, by the end of the retreat, dad and daughter were walking, holding hands, oh going goodness. for walks in the evenings, talking, you know, um, you know, so their, the whole, um, you know, family dynamic changed. Wow. You know, you hear a lot of, you know, um, you know, I hear, I heard it from my kids talk about, you know, um, and my wife, you know, you know, walking on eggshells in the house. So that, you know, something wouldn't happen to set me off, you know, and like this family was doing the same thing because dad and daughter weren't getting along mm -hmm. or whatever the reason was the whole family was walking on eggshells around them to, to just keep the peace. And that's kind of how they hadn't talked in four years. Wow. Because you know? they just learned that, well, if we don't, if we don't interact and the family keeps us apart and insulates it, then you know, there's no problem. You avoid the conflict. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is one of those things that those of us with PTSD do. We tend to a lot, you know, you, you withdraw and you kind of um, pull away and you don't talk about it. And you, because if you don't talk about it, you don't have to think about it, you know, and um, which isn't the best way to do it. Right. You should, you, if you need it, you need it. You need to talk about it and you need to think about it because that's the only way you're going to get through it. Yeah. Well, I love, so, um, I love how you said that they're not there to solve the problem, but to identify it and then help you make a plan. I think that's, okay. that's awesome. Well, I think if you talk to any, anybody in mental health, mm -hmm. it, they can't, they're not there to solve the person's problems. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they, they, all they can do is, is, give the folks, you know, the, the, um, tools or the, um, the ways that they can improve themselves. Right. They're, right. They're, you know, that's the thing about psychiatry, I guess, is you, you just can't give a, you know, when we find you can give a, you can give a pill, you know, I take them every day, you know, the help with my anxiety, mm -hmm. but it's not going to make my anxiety go away. It's not going to cure it. Mm -hmm. It just, um, makes it easier for me to, to deal with it, you know? And that's, I think a lot of times what psychiatry does, it just, they, they're going to talk with you and let you talk through it. So it's easier for you to deal with whatever it's going on. You know, they're not going to cure it. That's right. That's right. And actually I was talking to a, a psychologist or no, a mental health counselor yesterday and they, they were 
telling me that they 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 teach actually their professor and that mm-hmm. um, they teach you you aren't going to fix anybody because people right. act, fix themselves. And I was like, wow, that's so that's so interesting and so so true. So on the on the mental health side, that's what they're they're doing. And well, I, even medicine's a lot like that. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times, yeah, doctors do a lot to fix people, mm-hmm. but it's really up to that person's body at the end. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, a doctor can go in and stitch up something or take something out, but if the body can't recover from that on their own, then they're not gonna. That's you know? right. That's I right. I think it's the same thing with mental health. You know, if you know, that's like, I think, you know, for me, and I think, and you know, when I talk with the with the guys and the girls, a lot of times is just, you know, coming to that realization that yes, I have PTSD. And yes, I need to do something to improve that. You know, that's like the first step, you know, because now you're realizing that that you need to do something and then just being open to try and, you know, everything you can, you know, because there's not one thing that does it. You know, there's, you know, you know, I've been, geez, I don't know how many therapies, different therapies I've been through, but, you know, um, some work better than others, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, um, you know, I think, uh, for me, like right now coming out of COVID, it's still hard because it's like, I, I haven't seen my counselor at the VA face to face since COVID mm-hmm. started. So that's 2019. Wow. You know, because he won't, he, he's a little bit older and I think I still, I st- at the VA, they still have like with the counselors and stuff. They still have it. It's up to them if they want to see somebody in person or not. So he hasn't gone to in person. So my only counseling, um, you know, through the VA, you know, since COVID started has been, we do a weekly, um, like, uh, I don't know, well, it's a video conference and it's just like an anxiety thing, you know, breathing and uh, visualization stuff, you know, mm-hmm. to help with anxiety. That's it. Been like that for, you know, almost three years now, you know, um, luckily I have other avenues and other people to talk to. And <clears throat> I'm at the place that I'm at <clears throat> where I'm kind of, I'm, 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 I, I feel I'm in that, uh, maintenance phase now. Mm-hmm. I know what I need to do. Um, and as long as I keep on doing the things that I need to do, um, things are, things are go okay. You know? Um, and if I do hit a, a, a downward a down spot, like I always say with, with a PTSD, it's like a roller coaster, you know, it's got its ups and downs. And, uh, and the trick is getting to the point, I think where you identify when you start, uh, start going up, you know, hit that, you know, drop off and um, identifying it and being able to put the brakes on so that instead of a hundred foot drop, you only, you know, go a few feet mm-hmm. and then you come back up, you know, but it took me a long time to get to this point. Yeah. Um, well, know, and I think I think work and it's just tough now. It's hard to get the help right now because it does that. Well, and I think just your experience, Tom, um, really, equips you to be able to be there for these families that that are coming and and need that 
and I must help tremendously for you to understand where they're coming from and to have gone through the I, the training yourself. And yeah, I love. I mean, for me, you know, I think if I didn't if I didn't have the retreats to to go to, you know, sometimes twice a month, you know, and those are like recharges for me, mm-hmm. you know, because one is nice because if I, I am kind of having maybe a difficult time for whatever reason, time of year or whatever, because it's just that way, you know, November is a tough time mm, for, for me, I guess, because it's, you know, Veterans Day and the holidays, a lot of stuff, a lot, holidays, mm. a lot of stuff happened, you know, in, in November, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so being able to go to a retreat is great because, you know, kind of there's counselors there, you know, and they're all friends. So if I need to talk to somebody, I've got a counselor there I can talk to, you know? Um, and, for me, just uh, just talking to the families and kind of learning their their stories and what they're up to and how they're working through things is just therapy therapy for me too. Especially when I can see, you know, a, a lot of times you can really see when a family comes through and and you see how they are when they're coming through and because the, they sit down with me and they go they get checked in and little do they know I'm kind of checking them out, mm-hmm. you know, to see where they're at. And then they go off to their room and everything else. And then, and then watching them on that last, you know, full day, you know, how much they've changed where they're laughing and they're talking and, you know, there's, you know, a lot more interaction between mom and dad and mom and dad and the kids, you know, it's, that's just great. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it all worthwhile. I'm sure, I'm sure to see that transformation in a week, you know, and, and giving these families an opportunity to get away from, uh, their jobs, the chores, the daily grind and, and stay in a beautiful location in nature, bonding with other families, learning all these different skills. It's just, it's phenomenal what you guys are doing. And, um, like I had mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, um, I, I think, are you the only maybe a uh, nonprofit that works, um, with veterans and the whole family? I, um, we're not I think the only, only one. We're not the only ones. We're one of the few. One there's, few, yeah. there's, a, yeah, there's a few out there who do the same thing we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I don't, you know, I, any of the others, you know, they say that we're the best. I like to just think <laughs> that, that, that we are, but I think we are, Love it. I think, you know, any, I think any group that's out there that's working with the family is, um, you know, we're all, you know, we have the same kind of goal. Right. You know, like, like my sister, that's funny. My sister um, she's a doctor here in, in uh, Rockwall and she and her husband, they've got a place out in Orr city out here, here in East Texas. And they actually started, um, uh, their own nonprofit, uh, last year, uh, was it chasing stars and they do retreats for, um, uh, military families and first responders. And, uh, so they, they, they're not as I, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of, it reminds me of kind of like how Heather was when she first started doing retreats, you know, it's just more, you know, they're more of, you know, come on out, um, and just, you know, have a good time with your family. Yeah. There's not a, there's not a lot of programming. There's not, you know, they don't have the, the workshops like we've kind of, um, worked into, it's just, you know, a place to go. And I think, so I think you have the, the, the groups that are out there that, do the retreats for the families, you know, you're going to, they're going to run the gamut from just like my sister who they just have, they're, they're just coming out to get out in the country and, and, uh, 
have a good time as a family for yeah. the weekend because they just do weekends to, you know, groups like us that are a little more structured. Yeah. You know, yeah, I see that. And I think we all have the same goal. Yeah. Absolutely. <coughs> just, well, you know. well, tell us this. Um, so if there are, is a family out there listening that, that is interested and wants to, um, to go to, to one of the, these family retreats with Project mm-hmm. Sanctuary, where, where do they need to go? Um, what is the sure. process and, um, wait list? Sure. The quickest, the best way to do it is, uh, to just go to uh, www.projectsanctuary, all one word, dot U-S. So P-O-J-E-C-T-S-A-N-C-T-U-A-R-Y dot U-S. Dot U-S, okay. Um, and they go to the to the website and um, they can find out all about what we do and where we do it. And, um, and then there's a drop down to put in an application. So they put in that initial application and then they'll get um, the, one of our folks, be, I think Sharon at, right, right now is one who does it. They'll get a, Sharon will reach out to, um, to the family. I think it's uh, by email or sometimes even a phone call. Um, and then they have a little more, more paperwork to do once they do that initial application. And that's just a, it's a family agreement that they, uh, they go through and they fill that out and, and they do that and they're ready to go. And the, the only el- the eligibility for our retreats is you just have to have served. Um, and, you know, all branches, you know, the Coast Guard, I guess we'll have to say uh, uh, Space Force now. Um, <laughs> right so, on, Space Force. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On that, have you seen their new uniforms? No, I haven't. Oh, it, it's... It, <laughs> Uh, Google Space Force new uniform. Oh my yeah, goodness, like, I will. It looks like they came right off the bridge of uh, Star Trek, <laughs> or, or Battlestar, or, or actually more like Battlestar Galactica. But uh, oh, it's I pretty can't funny. wait to see this. Yeah, okay. but um, so uh, it's just you have to, and we've had uh, uh, Korean War vets. Um, I don't know if we had any. We we've, we've had a World War back when we first started. If we had a World War Two vet or not, mm-hmm. that's something I. I'd have to ask, but we've, I know we've had Korean war, um, you know, uh, <laughs> just all branches and, and you don't, and you don't have to be a combat vet. You don't have to have been deployed overseas. You just have to have served. Wow. You know, and, Fantastic. uh, you put in and you come in with your family. Um, the thing is it, we, at this point, you know, um, the way we say it is, you know, you, you get there on your own. Now we do sometimes, depending on need of the family and stuff, we we do do some uh, um, help with travel. You know, either help with the plane ticket or or um, uh, um, excuse me, uh, rental car stuff like that. We'll help. Um, depending, a lot of times depending on the need of the family. Well, and um, I, I want to jump in there too. If if yeah. there's any EOD families that are interested in attending but struggling to pay for travel arrangements, I, I would encourage them to apply for a financial grant through the EOD Warrior Foundation too, because we'd also love to help yeah. you know families to have That's that great. experience. We have some like some of our donors help us out. Like one of our our uh, good sized donors is Boeing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so that's why one of the main that's one of the reasons we. Where I met you in Washington at the retreat 
is we're doing our retreats out there because Boeing's out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, uh, they'll help, uh, local, um, families. They, they, part of their donation to us is to, is to help local, uh, Washington state veteran families get to our retreats. Awesome. So, um, so a lot of times, you know, if we have stuff, uh, something like that set up, we can help families get into the retreats. Yeah. But uh, once they get to the retreat, everything's taken care of. <clears throat> all their food, their lodging, the activities we do, um, it's all it's all taken care of. Awesome. And, uh, and what what about and the wait time now? Would you say? Um, I, I talking with the families coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, the wait times kind of vary because if you if there's a certain time that you feel that's the only time you can go, so so you decide, okay, we can only go to the the July retreat in Colorado at Snow Mountain Ranch, All right? You may have to wait a year or two to to get into that retreat. Mm-hmm. But if you're flexible and you can pick a couple couple different retreats, or you're flexible where you know if you know, we're, we're, we're having trouble filling a, or not trouble, but we want to get more families coming into the retreat, say in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, you may get a phone call from us. Hey, can you come to the Maryland retreat? You know, and if you're, if you're flexible enough where you can say, okay, yeah, we can do that. Um, you'll get in quicker. Nice. You know, so it's kind of depends on, on the family, you yeah. know, and what, yeah. and what they can do. Um, <clears throat> Cause sometimes, even sometimes we have, you know, for, Especially during COVID, we, we you know we'd have families who were ready to go. And then one of the family members would get COVID, or oh, yeah. we even still have it where dad, you know, they they set up to go to this retreat a year ago, and they get up close to it, dad gets deployed, mm-hmm. or or you know things change within the family and they can't go, so they they end up canceling. And a lot of times it, they end up canceling like last minute because they're holding out hope they can go, so they cancel last minute. So sometimes it's like last minute, like hey. We got it. It's Monday. Retreat starts on Friday. Can you go? So um, that's one of the one, great things. Now that we ha- have our retreats in other states other than Colorado, is that a lot of times we can find families that are you know that live in the area and, they, and, and then who can go? Because like yeah, even like in yeah. Colorado, you know we get a lot of families coming up out of Colorado Springs because you got Fort Carson there. You got the um, the uh, Air Force Base there and everything else. So there's a lot of folks down there. So, um, so a lot of times, you know, you know, it, it's not uncommon to have a retreat in Colorado. That's all just Colorado folks. And it's not, and it's not always, it's not that it's all active duty. It's just, you know, when you have a active duty basis, you end up with a lot of retirees in the area. Oh yeah, you definitely do. You do. You know, so, so it, that, so we get a lot, a lot of with that. So it, it kind of depends. Yeah. We try to get as many people as we can. Our, our, I mean, our goal is to is to try is to serve as many families as we can in the in the year. You know, so our goal is to try to have twelve families minimum per retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, we can we can go to fourteen. Um, that's kind of our max. We found that that kind of puts us up to the to the point where you know we get above that. You know. Uh, it's a little bit gets a little unwieldy. I'm sure. Uh, I'm uh, sure that's a lot of people. That's a lot of families. The, the most I the, the most I ever cooked for <laughs> was 
was 96. <gasps> wow. Between family and staff. Wow. That was a big retreat. Sounds yeah. like it, yeah. Well, Tom, yeah. Thank, thank you so much for, for being with us today and, oh, and sharing your story. One last, one last thing okay. before I forget is volunteers. <laughs> Vol- volunteers. Oh. Um, we, you know, that's, the volunteers are kind of that, that the un, unsung heroes because without them, it's, it makes it very difficult to do what we do. So every retreat we ask for, volu- we, we look for volunteers. Nice. Um, so even if, so uh, luckily we get a lot of our families come back and volunteer mm-hmm. um, like, like my family did. Um, and, and then also we get a lot of folks local who live around our, our retreats who come and volunteer. So if there's somebody who's listening who, ah, I don't really feel like I don't like these retreat things. Mm-hmm. Well, if you'd like to come and be part of something that's pretty, pretty great, um, you can volunteer. It's the same thing. You go to the webpage, projectsanctuary.us. There's a drop down where it says, how can I help? Mm-hmm. You click on that and there, you can either don't, there'll be a thing to donate or to volunteer. And you click on the volunteer one, it drops down. There's a, there's a short application to fill out and, uh, you know, the retreat that you like to work, work at. And then Bonnie, who does our volunteers will, um, will get hold of you and she'll, uh, she'll get you set up and everything else to come work a retreat. And I find, you know, before I you know was working at Project Sanctuary was, was, you know, I got, I think as much, if not more, you know, um, in a way, coming back and volunteering at a retreat than a lot of times being at the retreat, you know, because it's, you know, it's, I, I guess for me, it's always been that kind of, I always was serving other people. So when I came back to a retreat, it's kind of just fell into what, you know, into my thing. But I, it was, it was great, you know, being with the families and being able to give them my insight as to what, how the retreat went. But, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, so come volunteer. Yeah, I love that. Well, in healing others, we heal ourselves. I believe that. Yep. So, yep. Um, so that is wonderful, and I'm so glad that that you put that call out. So, anybody out there that's interested, um, the retreat spaces are beautiful. You get to meet um, fellow veteran families and and be of service. So, um, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Um, and Tom, as I was starting to say before, you you have had a lifetime career of service. So, I want to thank you so much for everything that you've done. And continue to do to serve our country and and our warriors and their families. It, it's quite remarkable. Sure. Thanks. Thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to talk to you. It was fun. Yeah. Good. It was fun. Um, and now, as is our tradition, we're going to end the interview with a couple of questions about your favorite things. Okay. So the first one is, what is your favorite meal? <sighs> Favorite meal? I'd have to say my favorite meal would be, and I'm gonna make it kind of specific. It's uh, my favorite meal is clam pie and um, a uh, sausage and onion pizza at Pepe's Pizza in New Haven, Connecticut. That's my favorite meal. <laughs> what at Pepe's Pizza? Oh yeah, Pepe's Pizza in. Uh, in New Haven, Connecticut. So if you're ever in Connecticut and you're ever in New Haven, or even if you're in Connecticut, should you get, it's not a big state. So you can get to New Haven in an hour from pretty much anywhere. You got to go to New Haven and go to Pepe's. And, and what was it that you like clam? What? 
clam pizza. So it's just it's a a a, a pizza with olive oil, onions. And clams. Oh my goodness. You know, there's a recurring theme on this podcast of seafood pizza that I do not quite understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those things I think it's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, my mouth is watering just thinking about it. It's, I don't know. It's just, and Pepe's pizza alone is, is, I, I'm, I guess I'm just jaded. It's, to me, it's it's probably the best pizza there is in the country. Well, I love yeah. pizza, so I might have to so. fly out to Pepe's. Oh, and and if you can't get the Pepe's, uh, at least the, I mean, I think New Haven just has good pizza just about anywhere you go. Oh, honey. Uh, something. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but there's Pepe's, there's Sally's, there's uh, Modern, there's a bunch of different ones you can go to, but Pepe's is like, for me, is the is the one. Wow, so. <laughs> awesome. So. Okay, um, second question: What is your favorite thing about living in Texas? Um, favorite thing about living in, in Texas is I think, I guess maybe the thing is, is if you really want to, you can wear shorts year round. Really? Yeah. Yep. I think you can wear, you can wear shorts year round if you need to. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a great thing. Um, and last yep. question, what is your favorite thing to do when you're not managing retreats? Favorite thing to do when not managing retreats. I think uh, my favorite thing to do is to hang with my girls, but they're all kind of spread out now. They're grown so, ups now. Yeah, they're all grown ups now, going to school and living other places. So what I do is um, I've got a uh, a booth in an antique mall uh, in Sunnyvale, Texas, south of where we are, and I uh, I sell antiques. Really. Yeah. So and uh, so and I guess the other thing I hang, I hang a lot with my dad, you know, um, and uh, uh, we uh, we go around to auctions and sales and buy antiques and clean them up and put them in our and you know he's got a couple booths out where he is and you know we just we sell antiques. That is awesome. Yeah. And what's it Don't called again? Yeah, uh, it's uh, well, it's Richmond Ranch Finds. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And it's uh. At, I'm at the East Fork Mall in Sunnyvale, uh, Texas. And uh, so, if you're if you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area, it's right off of I-80, and uh, you can go in and look for. Uh, let's see, what's it? Booth uh, 81, and that's me. Booth 81. That is awesome, Tom. I love it. Um, so hopefully, anybody in the area will will check you guys out. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, that would be. And and they'll have to mention the podcast that they 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 heard your podcast. There we go. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, Tom, thank you again so much for for taking sure. the time to talk to us. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. We wish you the very best with with your continued service with Project Sanctuary and I hope you get lots and lots of volunteers to help um help these families uh Thanks. find a and, new, uh, hope, a new hope way. To see, uh, see some of your EOD folks coming to the retreats. I hope so. I hope great. you do. Yeah. And like I said, too, if there's a family out there listening that 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 wants to attend and gets accepted but is struggling with uh, travel arrangements, please reach out. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast brought to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. 
The EUD Warrior Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization serving the EUD community by providing financial assistance, scholarships, and providing hope and wellness resources for the active duty, reserve, National Guard, retired, and veteran EUD communities and their families. We also honor our fallen and wounded EOD technicians by maintaining the EOD Memorial and Remembrance Garden. We do all this through the generosity of individual and corporate donors and sponsors. If you would like to assist the foundation or support our Behind the Warrior podcast, click the link on our webpage at eodwarriorfoundation.org or contact us at info at eodwarriorfoundation.org. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to tell a friend. The various opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by guests, contributors, and participants of the Behind the Warrior podcast are their own and are intended for informational purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, viewpoints, or policies of the UD Warrior Foundation or its employees and